Good morning and God bless you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. What a great day to be alive. Wowie, wow, wow. (laughs) Well, I had a wonderful sharing prepared for you today that I was going to deliver and the Lord says, nope, that's not what I want, Peg. So, I changed. (laughs) You know, when you walk with Jesus, you can't get too precious about your own ideas. You have to do what I call flexible planning because, you know, we planned, God laughs. (laughs) And the most important thing to me is to endeavor to be in fellowship with God and to bring forth whatever he wants you to hear at this particular time. So he said, Peg, I want you to share on the gift of Jesus, but I want you to open reminding people about the joy of tithing. And I said, okay, I can do that. And in a nutshell, uh, maybe some of you have never heard of tithing, but tithing is a supernatural act of trust through honoring God. A supernatural act of trust by honoring God with our first fruits. Our first 10% of whatever we increase belongs to God, the Bible says. And this is a spiritual law that runs through the Bible like a red thread, and it's put there for our benefit, for His glory, but for our benefit. The bottom line is tithing is a tangible action that produces both spiritual and practical growth. And what matters most most about the tithe is our attitude of heart. 1 Corinthians says, On the first day of every week, this is the tithe, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. And that sum through the Bible is 10%. Today we don't have bulls and goats to take to the temple and sacrifice, but we give our Ties and offerings for the outreach of the word of God to still to establish his covenant. Ephesians says we're now the temple of the Holy Ghost. So if you want to look at it from an Old Testament lens, it's uh, making the work of the temple possible. (laughs) The outreach of the word increase in the body of Christ. But we do this with the right heart. It says in 2 Corinthians to let us give The context is tithing. Let us give not grudgingly or of necessity, thinking we have to. You know, God wants us us to do this because we want to give back to him. For God loves a cheerful giver. That's one of my favorite phrases in the word. God loves a cheerful giver. I got to be honest. God loves a cheerful anything. (laughs) God invented joy. He invented laughter. And God wants life with him to be fun, to be a joyful experience. And what happens when we give back to God of the first 10%? It it is us acknowledging from the depth of our heart that everything we have or ever hope to be comes from our Father. Every good and perfect thing comes down from God, the Father of lights, says in James with whom is no variableness. He doesn't change. There's no shadow of turning. He's never going to turn his back on us. Every good thing that has ever happened or is going to happen comes because we honor God and we allow him into our life using these supernatural 
tools. No one ever, 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 ever can outgive God. In Malachi 3, the Lord is upbraiding Israel because he said they had robbed him. And they said, well, how did we rob you, God? You're a spirit. How can we rob you? And he said, in tithes and offerings. And that's tithes and offerings. That goes above the tithe. And the Lord just said to them, hey, kids, return to me and I will return to you. He didn't move. They went away from him. God is the stable one. <laughs> God is the stable one in this relationship, okay? <laughs> and he promised them that in return, and he's doing this just because he wants to, not because he has to. God doesn't have to do anything. He does all this stuff because he wants to bless his children. And in return, he said he would open the windows of heaven. Those are the windows that opened that caused the flood for 40 days and 40 nights. He's going to open those windows and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. People, who would not want that? I've been doing this for 48 years, and I have to tell you, all, to, all things total, I, I wouldn't trade my life for anybody's. I am a blessed, blessed woman. I have done more cool things in my life than some people do in five lifetimes. Traveled, ministered, loved, cared, gave. Life, my life is always exciting. It's, <laughs> I have a furniture polish called Never Dull, a, a silver polish, and every time I use it, I think, yep, <laughs> that's Pego, Never Dull Life. <laughs> and God promises in Malachi, here's, here's the spiritual thing, he will rebuke the devourer, the devil, for our sake, so that he cannot destroy the fruit of your labor. In other words, whatever you put your hand to will turn to good. When you have a good heart towards God, you, whatever you put your hand to will turn to good. It will be a blessing, not only to yourself, but to other people. These are just awesome promises. And when you think about Psalm 91, you know, blessed is he that's under the shadow of the Almighty, tithing and offerings is a focused decision from our heart for us to move to dwell under the shadow of God's wing. I mean, I love to get Izzy in a kind of a, you know, I put my arm around her, have her little neck, she's licking my cheek. You know, God wants us under the shelter of his wing, but we are the ones that have to move there. And tithing is simply an instrument, <laughs> a spiritual law that we can operate, that we can apply, that will deepen our spiritual growth, and we will see evidence of his blessings in the physical realm that we can point to. A friend of mine who's been a faithful tither for years to this ministry, she called me this morning and something so wonderful, so, so amazing happened to her that she had not even asked for. A phenomenal blessing that just, boom, came out of the side door. This, these are the times you whisper in your heart, wow, this is a result of me honoring you, Lord, and I give you the credit. I give you the credit for this blessing. Because that's one of the things the tithe will do. It will deepen your spiritual relationship where you realize every good and perfect thing comes from God. 
And the Lord told me to speak especially to you younger folks today who are now working either part-time or full-time. And he said, exhort these youngsters that now is the time to start this lifelong habit of partnershiping with me, partnership with me, by honoring me with their first fruits and putting their trust in me in a very tangible way. And you know what, kiddos? I started doing this when I was 23, and one day you will thank me for teaching you this principle now, early on in your life, so that you can reap a harvest all the days ahead of you. Jesus said in John 10.10, I'm come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And the Lord told me to tell you that I have just shared with you one of the major keys for enjoying that abundant life here and now, honoring God with your first fruits and building that spiritual partnership with him that will carry you in good stead all the days of your life. And I'll tell you what, when you operate the tithe and then you go beyond that to offerings, you know, it's so much easier to give to other people, to give to charities, to give to, you know, good causes that there are so many of that we can be involved in. First of all, because God's multiplying back all your finances to you. But second of all, because you're in the habit of giving. And you're in the habit of giving cheerfully and often. You know, tithing is one of those things you can do faithfully once a month or for those who get paid by the week, every week. And it just keeps you conscious that everything you have belongs to God. There are no trailers on hearses. Uh, As James said, we came into the world naked (laughs) and we're going out naked. And all that counts on the tombstone is that dash in between the date you're born and the day you die. What did you do with your life? So we're going to move on for the topic today, which is the gift of Jesus, the gift of life. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he did what? Applied his own spiritual law. He gave, he sowed into the world his only begotten son. So God himself applied the law of sowing and reaping, giving and receiving, when he gave his one and only son and got back, da-da-da, millions of children in return who are now part of God's family, born again of God's spirit. God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Some people say John 3.16 is the greatest verse in the Bible, and you know, they could be right. (laughs) For God, we're going to break it down. For God, the greatest one, so loved the greatest lover. The world, the greatest number of people that he gave, trust me, the greatest giving His only begotten Son, the greatest sacrifice, that whosoever, the greatest invitation, believes in Him, the greatest simplicity, should not perish, the greatest deliverance, but have everlasting life. That, my friends, is the greatest gift Ever, ever, ever.
His son is the one who gives us life. And he gave it to us when we were dead in trespasses and sins, deader than a doorknob. He gave his life for us. He saw something in us we don't even see in ourselves sometimes. That's love. So the question of our life and the quest of my life is how can I ever repay him? And again, I don't see that as a duty. I see it as a privilege. Why would I not want to give back to my Lord and Savior who gave me literally the skin off his back and the blood from his veins? So first and foremost, I just want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love is action. If I truly love God, I'm going to do those things that are pleasing in his sight, one of which is tithing, tithes and offerings. And I just want to say about John 3, 16, I'm sure I've read that verse a thousand times, but every time I read it, it gets deeper and bigger and better. And when did all this come to pass? It began around 3 B.C., A young woman named Mary lived in the village of Nazareth. It was a small farming community in the northern part of Israel. The population of Nazareth was about 350 people. It certainly was no metropolis, no New York City. And Mary herself, she was probably 14 years old when this miraculous event took place in her life. Back in those days, the lifespan was around 40, 45, and they got very, very young. Very young. It was a, an agrarian, a farming society. And we'll see, like anything God puts in the Word, He's going to lay it out, but it was up to Mary to believe and take action for the miracle to come into fruition on this plane. Free will. Right after the new birth, free will is the greatest gift God gave mankind. God will never, ever overstep your free will. He'll salt your oats. He'll get you hungry. He'll give you tips. But it's still up to you to take it or leave it. And Nazareth, you know, I used to think Jesus had this really cool town he grew up in. It turns out that Nazareth, (laughs) if you were going to Israel, it was not one of the top cities on your things to see list while in Israel. (laughs) As a matter of record, it was held in contempt by the bigger, shinier cities. And they literally abhorred the Nazarenes. Today, we'd refer to Nazareth as a hole in the wall located in flyover country full of hunyucks. <laughs> you know, the uneducated, unwashed. I, that's, you know, these are stereotypes. This isn't how I see, this is not how I see anybody, but this is how other people see each other. I mean, how many times did you hear in the Bible, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You know, it was a, it was a podunk town with not much going on. But I got to say, in contrast, I have been to Nazareth. And let me tell you, in today's world, in this, in this era, it is one beautiful area of the world. It is beautiful hill country. It's absolutely gorgeous. But back then... The houses were kind of spread out because they had either animal pens, you know, fenced-in areas for the animals right next to their home or fields close by. Can you imagine the smell of that city? (laughs) 
Um, so, that you know, they could just walk out their door and tend the cow or the sheep or whatever, or the chickens. <clears throat> Nazareth, believe it or not, was kind of actually known for its stench and its filthiness, physically speaking. So it was a tiny town of 350 where basically everybody knew everybody's business and it was full of gossip. <laughs> Not to mention that Israel as a whole in 3 BC was really a pretty dark time of oppression in general. And it's in this location that we'll pick it up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now, Elizabeth had gotten pregnant miraculously. Elizabeth was Mary's cousin, much older than Mary. She had gotten pregnant miraculously in her old age with John the Baptist. And in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city, a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. And Gabriel's first words to her was what God always says to his kids, two words, fear not. Verse 30. Fear not, Mary, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Yeshiva in Hebrew, Jesus in English, which means salvation. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. In Hebrew, it's Adonai Yahweh will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Every kingdom and period in mankind is going to have an end, not Jesus. His kingdom goes on forever and ever and ever, and we are part of it through his love. This encounter with Gabriel, God's messenger, his archangel, I was pondering this, and it just had to be stupendous. Gabriel would have appeared to Mary in all of his finest splendor since he carried a message of such regal importance from the throne of God the Father to this beautiful, humble, loving woman, Mary. <laughs> And Mary asked the obvious question, how can this be since I'm a virgin? How am I going to have this child? I've never been with a man. And you know what? That was a perfectly good question. <laughs> and the angel answered, verse 35, again, I'll throw a little Hebrew in here, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. So the Holy One born will be called Bar El Olam, wow, this will blow your mind. The son, Bar, the son of the eternal God, the eternal God. Mary was a Jewess, a female Jew. Gabriel would have used these Hebrew terms like El Olam, which meant the God, the aspect of God that's the God of all time and space, the eternal one, the one who set the stars in space. He said to this beautiful woman, that God wants you, Mary, 
to bear his child. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry I'm laughing, but, you know, I met Michael, an angel named Michael, when I was in the Waffle House, and trust me, he didn't lay this on me because I don't know what I would have done. I might have fainted and fallen off the stool. He watched Butum bear his child, the Messiah, not just as any child, but the Messiah that was prophesied all through the Old Testament. Whoa, Nellie, this, this is quite a request, Gabriel. And you know, when you understand the context of the Bible and scripture buildup, this angel had to spend quite a bit of time with Mary, building her up, encouraging her and reminding her that her own cousin Elizabeth Verse 36, and behold, your cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for many, many years. Not just, I mean, this woman was old, and her husband Zechariah had gone to the uh, temple to do his duty, and the angel, an angel had spoken to him and prophesied this child. Just again, just knowing how God rolls. And I, I have been through plenty of things that God has asked me to do. And I know from experience that the Lord takes time to build your confidence, to encourage you, to strengthen you in ways you can't even imagine, to go out, go forth and do what he's asked you to do. And I love verse 37. This is a statement. This is a statement. Verse 37. Put this on a tattoo, this behind your eyelids. For with God, what's the next word? Nothing, nothing shall be impossible. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Anything that's lined up with his word for his benefit, his glory, nothing, parting the Red Sea, nothing, Abraham having a kid at 100, nothing, Walls of Jericho falling down, nothing. All the miracles that happened around Jesus' birth, nothing. The resurrection, piece of cake for God. That's some solid grade A truth right there. And you know what? It's as true today as it was for Mary. See, the thing is, we can read this account, this record in the Bible in two or three minutes. We don't know how much time Gabriel spent with Mary, but it, it could have been hours to prepare this young woman to make, listen to this, please, to make a decision that could have gotten her stoned to death and should have gotten her stoned to death in that culture, but did not. She and Je Joseph were not married yet. They were only engaged at the time. She said she was a virgin. So the custom back then would have been to stone her to death for being pregnant before marriage. And when I was reading that verse, God took me back to the woman caught in adultery when Jesus was teaching and he, they threw her at his feet. And she was caught in adultery in the very act. And the Bible, Moses said, stone her. And I wondered today for the first time, <laughs> I just, the thought crossed my mind. I wonder if Jesus thought about his mama when he stooped down and wrote in the sand, There are many, many times that the religious leaders threw Jesus' birth condition in his face. They said to him, to his face, we not be born of fornication. And in another place, they said, ha, this is the carpenter's son. He's the bastard child born out of wedlock. 
How can he possibly do great works? That's because they couldn't see who he truly was. They, had, they were blinded by what is still a, a cancer in the world today, their own prejudice, their own pride, their own ego. They were blind to his true lineage, and they were dead wrong. His father was God. Hello. So during this time in, in Luke, I mean, Mary's emotions, they had to be ping, ping, ping all over the place. I'm sure they went from trepidation to elation. Her mind must have been spinning like a top. So I'm absolutely sure that during this visitation, the angel said many things to strengthen and encourage Mary to carry out this heavy-duty task. Uh, hello, Mary. Would you like to bear, deliver, and raise God's Son, Jesus the Messiah? <laughs> wow. People, no matter what we've been asked to do in life for, the, for God's glory, nobody's ever going to be asked to do something this intense. I think about Mary and Joseph when Jesus was 12 and they were walking in the caravan home and they realized, uh-oh, Jesus isn't here. Whoa, they were a day and a half away from Jerusalem. Can you imagine looking around for Jesus? They can't find him anywhere. And they come before the holy God and say, um, hey, God, you know that Messiah you gave me to raise? Um, I lost him. <laughs> I mean, look, this is real life. You, you, you're given the, the, the honor, the, you know, to raise God's son, the Messiah, and you lose him. I've been in a lot of stressful situations, but I've never had to go before God and say, I lost your kid. <laughs> I think that'd be at the top of my stress list. I'm sorry, folks. I, you know, I laugh and have fun with the word, but this is just how my mind works. It's so real to me. These are real people that live through real events that really happened. I see the Bible in technicolor. I see both the gritty truth and the amazing beauty. But after Gabriel's visit, the first thing Mary did was she hot-footed it straight to her elder cousin Elizabeth's house. She was in another village and Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist. And God confirmed all the things that Gabriel had told Mary in both of their hearts. The minute, the second, the moment, Mary walked through Elizabeth's front door because that's the way he rolls. Luke 1.40 And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary's of Mary the baby, John the Baptist, John the bee, leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with Holy Spirit. It was stirred up inside of her, and she prophesied with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Mary. And how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, believed, trusted God, believed what the angel said, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. That must have just blessed Mary Big time, big time, big time. What a comfort. What a confirmation. 
Who knows how long it had been since Mary saw Elizabeth, but the moment Mary walked in and says hello, the first thing that came out of Elizabeth's mouth was straight from God. It said she prophesied, forth-telling a message from heaven to earth. Did you know we're promised the same access to heaven in John 14? Yeah. Jesus said we'd, he would send the comforter and we would be able to hear prophetic things from heaven straight from his voice. And Mary immediately responded with a prophetic message from heaven herself. Some people call this prayer the Magnificat, and you can see why. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Wow. This was not Mary's idea. She was putting her life on the line to magnify, to carry out God's will here on earth. What a woman. I so admire this young lady. That is some kind of faith that she had. And you know what? All generations who believe God have risen up and called her blessed. Verse 47, And Mary said, And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Look at this difficult decision she made, and yet she had joy in this situation, that fruit of the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 48, For he has regarded the low estate of his handmaid. Remember, she came from the sticks. And that's why you just never can look at a person on the outside and know what God's thinking, what's in their heart. Because sometimes the most unlikely among us do some of the greatest things for the Lord. (laughs) Some people you think would be awesome. No. Some people you think, what? And they just magnify God like nobody's business. He has, he, has mag- he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And we do. For he that is mighty has done to me, has done to me great things, and holy is his name. That phrase blew my mind. Here she was putting her life on the line, but she understood it was a great thing. She got the memo. She understood it was a great thing. And she was right. I might have said to Gabriel, you know, God wants you to have his kid. He wants you to do this and that. I might have said, "Uh, dude, are you sure you got the right address? Maybe maybe you want that girl next door. She's older. She's wiser. (laughs) Mary stepped up to the plate and she was part of history from then on. Changing the world. She, She absolutely was a world changer which is one of my aspirations. Yes, you say, well, Peg, you want to change the world. That's a big thing. You know what? God can do that through me any way he wants. All I say is, here I am, send me. Because I want to change it for the better, in case you're wondering (laughs) which way I'm going with this. Verse 50, and Mary said, and his mercy, his mercy, his unmerited favor is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud, the proud, those who don't listen to God, in the imagination of their hearts. That's where all life really comes from is the heart. Out of the heart issues life, says Proverbs. Whether it's prayers, giving, teaching, living, 
Everything we do is an issue of the heart. Where's your heart when you're doing this? Are you doing this for selfish or ungodly reasons, or are you doing this to glorify your Father who's in heaven? And look at where Mary's heart was when she was 14. All I can say is this woman must have had some phenomenal role models because she was really going to have a rough life ahead of her too. I mean, she had to watch her son go through everything he went through. Wow. But my friends, Jesus was God's plan for us from the beginning. The gift of Jesus. God had that plan to give us eternal life from before the foundation of the world. And Ephesians 1.4 says, According as God has chosen us, that includes you listening to this, in him, when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The first part is a given. God knew you were going to be born before the foundation of the world, and he wanted you. He gave Jesus so he could have you. But the so we should be holy and without blame, that's our part. We have this opportunity, but we have to step up to the plate. And God isn't asking us to do one whit of what he asked Mary to do. And we have more training, more ability, more backing, more everything. All we got to do is get up and do it. Do it. So obviously, (laughs) we're not Jesus, but we are like him in our spirit. That's what we have to remember. The inside, the spirit man If you could see the new man in you, the the spirit man that entered you the day you were born again, the Holy Spirit in you now, it would blow your little pea-picking brain. And we're called to represent God in this life. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says that he's made us sit in the heavenlies and he's called us to good works that he chose, he planned before the world began. Read the Bible, pray, listen to God, and you'll find out what those are. And then just, you know, like I said, I had another teaching planned, and God said, no, that's not what I want, Peg. It's a good one. You'll use it later. And (laughs) flexible planning, his will, then my will. You and I are part of what I would call, this painting is more beautiful than the Sistine Chapel. It's a masterful painting that God saw before the foundation of the world. And like an artist... Only the creator of the painting, the artist himself, sees the finished product. Sometimes we don't know what we're doing in life. We're not sure which way to go. Ask. God already knows what you're going to choose. And again, if it's according to his grace, his goodness, he will show you how to complete the task. But God sees all of life. El Olam sees all of life from before in the beginning to after the end of eternity. There's no time and space with God. He conceived his plan to have a family who he could love and who would love him back and made that seed available through his firstborn so that we could live to the praise and the glory of God Almighty all our days here on earth. Is that such a big thing to ask? I don't think so. I mean, when somebody does something for me in my life like, you know, help me out of a tough situation or something like that or minister to me when I need it. I never, ever forget that good deed. I'm loyal to that person to a fault. How should that be towards God from all of us? Who's ever going to do more for us than our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ? 
You know, every epistle starts with that, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That must be a big deal to recognize that. So anyway, let's fast forward. We're going to fast forward nine months later when God's beautiful baby son was born in a manger, baby Jesus, born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and he was the bread of he is the bread of life. And that is the greatest gift of all time ever given to man. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And go on down to Luke chapter 2 verse 8. And at that very moment when he's being born in a manger in a nearby field there were shepherds watching over their flocks. Notice he didn't call in the news media, the kings, the princes, the the religious rulers. Who did God, God call in? Humble shepherds watching over their flocks. And God's incredible angels are on the scene to give us a reason for the season, as we say this time of year. Luke 2, 8. And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I can never read Luke 2, 8 without thinking of Linus <laughs> in Charlie Brown's Christmas. And it just always melts my heart to think about little Linus standing on the stage trying to tell him what the true meaning of Christmas was. And there were shepherds in the same country, abiding in the field, keeping watch o'er their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all the people. For unto you is born this day, this day. New Year's Day in the Hebrew calendar, Tishri 1, New Year's calendar in the Hebrew calendar, 3 BC. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ. Christ, Messiah, the Lord. Yay, hey, hey, yippee, joy, joy, joy. The long-awaited-for Messiah is here among you. These are the good tidings of great joy. Verse 12, And the angel said, And this shall be unto you a sign. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. I just see angels as far as the eye can see, lighting up the sky with their spiritual glory, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men. The little sidebar here, the moment this was happening, Tishri 1, New Year's Day, their day began at 6 p.m. Every priest was on the the walls of the temple blowing the trumpets in honor of Jehovah, the one true God, blowing the trumpets in honor of creation with the first Adam. Here's the second Adam being born right there on that exact same day. Don't tell me God's timing isn't perfect. It's beyond perfection, whatever that is. (laughs) And they were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. What did they bring? Peace, people. Peace, peace. Peace between God and man. Peace between man and each other. It says that one thing God abhors is people that stir up conflict among the brethren. They'll get their judgment. It's not up to me. It's up to him. Peace on earth and goodwill, goodwill, goodwill toward men. The world would change in a nanosecond if everybody adopted that one phrase. 
Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Whoa, brother. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) What I would give to have been at that event. Kapow. Nobody knocks it out of the park like God. (laughs) Nobody knocks it out of the park like our Heavenly Father. He has knocked it out of the park in my life more times than I can count. I get on my knees often just in tearful thanksgiving and praise of all the good things he has blessed my life with far beyond anything I ever thought I deserved or could achieve. Man, oh man. I'll tell you one thing. (laughs) That got those shepherds' attention good and proper. Verse 15. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, and I love this. Please put a yellow highlight marker on this. Let us now go to Bethlehem. That is the perfect response when God gives you a word and says, do this. Do it now. Post haste, verse 16. And it verifies that in verse 16. And they came with what? Haste. (laughs) And found Mary and Joseph. Oh, man, just let yourself get quiet for a moment. This is, this is, This is like fireworks in the spirit realm. This is like the culmination of something God had known about before in the beginning. They show up at this blessed event. The babe lying in the major, wrapped, verse 7 said, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes at that moment. Just like the angel said, there was the baby swaddled. What does that mean? That is a Jewish ritual that takes only a few minutes. I mean, again, God's timing is so impeccable. Every new Jewish king was swaddled at birth. That means they were wrapped in two-inch wide strips of linen that were moistened with salt water, kind of like a little baby mummy. Very loosely, their face wasn't covered up. But this was significant, like anointing with oil, that the king would be upright. That's why they had the white linen, that they would be upright, and the salt was they would be truthful and honest. The shepherds didn't come in one minute before that. 20 minutes after he was unswaddled, the shepherds shepherds came in at that exact moment, like Mary walking into Elizabeth's house. At that exact moment, the baby leaped in her womb, John the Baptist. People, we are never going to improve on the perfection of God ever, 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 ever. But if those shepherds, again, here's, free, here's the free will part. If those shepherds had dug their feet in and waited, they would have missed the greatest event in all of mankind, the greatest event in all mankind, the birth of the long-awaited Messiah. Verse 17. There have been too many times in my life that God has told me to do something. I got spaced. I got did something else, and I missed a blessing and the, the ability to be a blessing because I drug my knuckles. That window is there. It's never going to be there again. You got one, one shot in verse 17. And when they'd seen it, they, they did the most logical thing. They ran around all of Bethlehem telling everybody what they had seen and heard. Hello? That's what we're supposed to do. We have seen wonderful things. If you've, if you've been born again, the, most, the, the, the miracle of all miracles has already occurred in your life. I used to knock on doors just to tell people, I'm born again. Would you like to be? 
I went all over Rome, Georgia doing that. And I did it in Colorado and I did it in New York and I did it from the streets of Washington, D.C., standing at the front of the National Gallery of Art, preaching the goodness of the kingdom of God. And the people that heard it, they wondered at those things which were told by the shepherds. And like Paul said when he went to Mars Hill, when you preach the Bible, some are going to scoff. They're going to think you're crazy. Some are going to just say, forget it, I don't care. But some, some, some are going to believe. And God wants us to go forth into all the world and talk to those people. Any way we can, phone, internet, in person, waitress, president, everything in between. And as we go into this season, let's remember the reason. God's plan for all history, his story. History is his story. Everything is spiritual. Everything in life is spiritual. Trust me, there's spirit power behind every person, every event. Everything is spiritual. God's plan for all history came together in a little backwater town, moved to another little town, Bethlehem, the conception and birth of his son, our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. For God so loved the world that he gave his innocent, never sinned, perfect, only begotten son. God created the sperm that impregnated Mary, and that's how we got Jesus. Right there that day that she said yes to Gabriel, boom, it happened. And my friend, Jesus is the greatest gift ever, ever, ever to mankind. It's never going to be topped. And Jesus is our life. It says the life that we now live, we live by the faith of Jesus Christ. You were literally infused with his DNA when you accepted Jesus. And he freely gave his life for you and for me so that we could go tell it on the mountain. Life is a coin. We can spend it any way we want, but we can only spend it once. My heart's desire is to spend my life loving Jesus and spreading his message to anyone who will listen, anytime, any place, anywhere. I don't get offended if they don't, but I would be very upset with myself if I didn't open my mouth and give them the opportunity because you never know who will say yes. Many of you know I was the least likely to ever for anyone to ever think I would become a pastor. So God uses the humble things of this world to confound the mighty, and I'm one of those broken things that he put together. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting a little choked up and made a vessel of honor. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> O Lord of love, unto whom every heart is open like the sunflower to the sun, teach us, order our steps, so that we can live to the praise of your glory and magnify your Son to the whole world. He is the bread of life. He is the fountain of living water. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to you but by him. Father, let all who are thirsty come and drink as we herald, herald your message, just like the angels, with boldness and love. We offer the world the good news, just like the shepherds. Let us go tell it on the mountain, on the plains, and everywhere. 
that Jesus Christ is born and he loves you. Amen, amen, amen. Love you guys. God bless you. Go tell it.